When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 312, and today we are talking about books being released on May 25th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia, hello! Hey Liberty, how's it going? It's going okay! It's the end of the week, I'm excited for the weekend so I can get some reading done. I don't even really, I shouldn't even say weekend because like every day is the same for me. It's just like (laughs) work, read, work, read, work, read, play with the cats, you know. But that's okay. That's how I like it. Yeah. I am going on our first outdoor gathering with masks, I think. It's, we're going cherry picking. Ooh. Is a thing. And that's something I used to, I grew up here in the Bay Area and I grew up not far from where there's a bunch of farms. Where you can pick your own fruit. And so also the fruit is less expensive since I'm picking it myself. So we are bringing some friends out there and we're going cherry picking. And then I have these grand plans to make cherry hand pies with cherries I picked myself. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I mean, worst case scenario, you eat the cherries. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been fruit picking oh wait no i take it back my grandmother did take us my brother and i to pick raspberries one time but if i remember correctly that ended with me filling his hat with raspberries and squishing it down onto his head so (laughs) i don't think we were invited back good thing they weren't apples well maine you're known for your blueberries up there right yeah i you know i never got into blueberries i didn't really like them which is bad because I read once that, like, spinach and blueberries are two of the best things that you can feed your brain. So, probably explains a lot. I hate both of them. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes. Maine has a lot of blueberries. Although, not, like, around where I lived. But if you go up Maine, or as we say in Maine, go down east, which makes no sense. Lots of blueberry places up there. I love blueberries. Yeah? Well, there you go. So much. Yeah. I, um... Uh, the weather here has been just absolutely lovely. Everything is growing like mad. My husband has had to start mowing the lawn like every couple of days, you know, but you only have to do it for like three or four months out of the year or so. And it's better than having to shovel. Everything here is also growing wildly and that means my allergies are acting up so it's the time of year where i'm just on a steady stream of benadryl Ooh. but luckily benadryl doesn't make me drowsy that is lucky funny funny enough which is good because i'm on it <laughs> yeah. all the time <laughs> yeah the one of the problems with always wanting to own a black vehicle is that every time i go outside in the spring it's just you could write your name in it in the pollen every day it's a mess 
But I went, I walked to the Rose Garden, um, not far from our apartment, and everything is just in bloom, and it's gorgeous. And this Rose Garden has been around since maybe the 1920s, like 1921 or something like that. So it's 100 years old. Yeah, and it's the Rose Garden that she wrote about in How to Do Nothing, um, Jenny O'Dell, I think. Huh. She wrote about this rose garden, and I live right near it, so. That's cool. Took a walk today. Yeah, it was pretty neat. That is cool. We are going to talk about books. I could talk about plants all hour long because I'm super into them now. I never used to be, and then when I moved in with my husband in this house, like, he's all about gardening, and I love plants. I got lungwort, which is, like, the worst name for, like, such a pretty plant, but let's not talk about lungwort right now. Uh, (laughs) We're going to hear from a sponsor first. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. And now we're going to talk about books. I'm very excited. I read all of these books last year, so... Oh, wow. I hope I'm remembering all the details correctly. I think I am. I'm going to kick it off with this fabulous new novel from Stephen Rowley called The Gunkle. The main character in The Gunkle is Patrick O'Hara. He is a retired, award-winning actor living in Palm Springs. He's in his 40s. He's had a very successful career. He was on a famous sitcom that, by the description, sounds a lot like like a modern family kind of sitcom. Uh, but when that show ended after a long run, he retired and sort of lives uh, by himself and keeps to himself in Palm Springs. I mean, he's got a pool. He's got a big house, you know, but it's just him out there. And at the beginning of this book... Patrick's best friend, Sarah, 
who he met in college and who is also the wife of Patrick's brother, Greg. After Sarah and Patrick became friends, she eventually met Patrick's brother, Greg, and they fell in love and they got married. And at the beginning of this book, uh, it's Sarah's funeral. Sarah has died after an extended illness. And Patrick is feeling kind of regretful because he hadn't been in touch much uh, with Sarah, especially after she married Greg. And he has a niece and a nephew who are nine and six, uh, Maisie and Grant, and he hasn't spent very much time with them at all. And he was kind of feeling, you know, sad about this, and he's at the funeral, and it's sad. But then, right after the funeral, his brother Greg unloads some more news on him. He tells Patrick that he has a substance abuse problem that he needs to deal with immediately, like, while he's he's feeling like he can. And he's checking himself into a rehab facility for 90 days, and he needs Patrick to take the kids. So... Like, in the span of a couple of days, they have lost their mother, and they're going away from their father, and they're going to live with somebody they barely know. But kids are pretty resilient, and they're they're kind of interested in him. They know he was an actor. They call him Gup, which stands for Gay Uncle Patrick, which is a nickname that Sarah made up. Uh, and just like that, these kids are living at his house. And, and this is a big change for Patrick. You know, he's enjoyed his reclusive living. But he takes them in, he has a pool, they hang out in the pool, he teaches them about brunch, he tells them stories about their mom from when they were younger, when he, when Patrick and Sarah were younger, not when the kids were younger. And little by little, they start to change his life. They introduce him to social media, they want to have people come over to the house, they want a dog, they give him affection and just think he's great. They fight with him, they tell jokes, They they make funny videos. And as the weeks go by, they have softened his heart. And now he's, you know, thinking like, what's going to happen, you know, when Greg gets out of out of the rehab facility? Also, Patrick has a tragedy in his past that he's never really faced. And it's the reason why he's kind of kept to himself. But spending all this time with Maisie and Grant, he begins to think that he might be ready to start living again. This is a really funny book. Patrick is a scream. He's very quippy. Uh, the kids are adorable. They tell funny little stories and have cute little adventures. And and I mean that like in like the most adorable way, really. I'm not always a big fan of children in literature, but I loved these kids. And the flashbacks, there's also flashbacks to his times with Sarah when they're in college. And it's also really sad. You know, Sarah has died. People die. You know, I wouldn't, like, everybody's like, this is a lighthearted read. And I'm like, I wouldn't call this a lighthearted read. I would call this a charming, big-hearted, funny novel full of complicated, realistic relationships and situations, uh, which is a lot more words than lighthearted read, but there it is. But I absolutely adored it. I, I hope that this gets turned into something because I would love to see these characters on the screen. Uh, I want to give content warnings for illness, death, disordered eating, homophobia, chemical abuse and addiction, and car accidents. That is The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Oh my gosh, I need it. It's so cute! I need to read that. Oh, It's very cute. But like also sad. It's, it's hard to like, you know, be like, say it both at the same time. I don't know what the one word is that I want for it, but <laughs> when I smoosh it together and figure it out, I'll let you know. Okay, let me know. For my first pick, I have Hanian Issues Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jigardar. And I am so excited to tell you about this book by Adiba, one of our fellow rioters. 
Recently on an episode of All the Backlist, I talked about her first book, The Henna Wars. And so this book, Honey and Issue, is absolutely another queer young adult romance featuring Southeast Asian characters, and I am here for it. Content warnings for racism, homophobia, biphobia, lesbophobia, Islamophobia, toxic friendships, gaslighting, and parental abandonment. First, we have Humaira, nicknamed Hani by family and those who are close to her, but called Myra by her white friends, and it's very important to know that. Hani is extremely likable and gets along with just about everyone at school. Her best friends are Ashling and Deirdre, who goes by D. Ashling and D are white, and Hani is Bangladeshi and a practicing Muslim. Hani can't really share her cultures with Ashling and D, not because she doesn't want to, but they just don't seem to get it. So Hani often has to make compromises to do whatever they do, even if they want to eat at a place where there isn't halal food. It's just microaggression on top of microaggression. And for anyone who's a person of color who has tried, especially in their youth, to fit in with all white friends, this book really does hit close to home. Honey is really close to her parents, and her relationship with her parents is really sweet. Her ama and abba were supportive and loving when she came out to them as bisexual. Ashling and Dee, not so much. They weren't really supportive. So our other hero is Ishita, nicknamed Ishu by family and those who are close to her. Ishu is a girl after my own heart. She curses almost nonstop and she seems eternally cranky and high strung. It's like looking in a mirror. I love Ishu so much. Ishu has had a lifetime so far of competing with her older sister, Nick, both vying for their parents' attention. They do not get along. Well, Nick has been at university for a couple of years and surprises Ishu and their parents by telling them she's dropping out of med school and getting married. Ishu is worried that this will reflect badly on her, that is, on Ishu, so she puts her perfectionism into overdrive and decides that she is going to try to get elected as head girl. That way she could show her parents that, see, she isn't a huge mess up like her older sister Nick is. Like I said, Ishu is eternally grumpy, and so most people at school don't like her. Meanwhile, Hani is struggling with her friendship with Ashling and Dee because they don't think Hani is actually bisexual. So, Hani and Ishu enter a mutually beneficial agreement where they will fake date. Yes, they will make up an entire relationship where they have been dating. Hani will use this to convince her friends that she's bi. And Ishu will ride on the wings of Hani's popularity and likability to become head girl. What could possibly go wrong? I absolutely devoured this book. I think I read it in two days. It was so much fun and I just adored it. It's Hani and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jaigardar. She has a lot of books coming out this year, I think. I think she does she have three? There's one about like a romance that involves donuts. I know that. Oh, that's right. I think there are like two more in the fall. Maybe it's just these two. Just these two. <laughs> you know. Just just yeah. these two. You know what? I want them all. I yeah. love her characters so much. Yeah. I'm excited to read this one. 
My next pick for today is Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wong. Wong is the author of Family Trust, which came out a couple of years ago. This one is an espionage novel about the tech world. It's similar to the Americans in that it's about a Russian operative living in the United States as an American. Also, I, like, I wonder, does that really happen? Did that really happen? Were there spies that were so good at blending in we didn't know? I don't know. But so that's like the premise of the Americans, that TV show. And this is what is happening with one of the characters in Imposter Syndrome. Uh, but this story is set in present day. It's about Julia Lerner, who is a Russian spy who has been living in the U.S. for years. She's like 2018 now. She's been here since 2009. Uh, she's been living and working in Silicon Valley and working really hard because she has managed to work her way up to the COO of Tangerine, one of the world's largest tech companies. And she has worked very hard to get where she is. And she has settled nicely into her glamorous, high-profile life. I mean, she's very wealthy, and she's famous, and everyone knows who she is. And she's pretending to be an American. I mean, at the beginning of the book, she's pregnant. She's planning for the arrival of her first baby with her husband. And she's just, like, living this, like, glamorous COO life. But to be honest, she's also kind of forgotten about the spying part. She hasn't been asked to do much, and now she's got this great life and, like, she doesn't really think about other things. But then she hears from her handler, Leo, the man who trained her and got her into the States. And he tells her that her home country, Russia, wants more from her now. They are calling on her to use her high-ranking position in the company to give them access to Tangerine's user information. Uh, they want her to access the computer system so they can install a backdoor to get to all of the email accounts and messages and look at all the user info. But, of course, this is, like, a huge ask. I mean, this is, like, a very risky thing that she's going to do. But they say, you don't have any choice. Uh, and so sh she does it, but she's thinking, like, maybe this isn't what she wants to do anymore. You know, she le she's believing her own story now, basically, is what has happened. And she's going to figure out a lot of new tricks to keep from losing the things that she loves. Now, the other main character in this book is Alice Liu, who is an employee at Tangerine who works behind the scenes in IT. Alice makes sure all the systems are running smoothly, you know, fixes all the problems that the staff have, and no one really pays attention to the IT people. They're just kind of like always there in the background, and, and she likes it that way. Then one day, while Alice is doing a routine check of Tangerine's servers, she discovers there's an anomaly. She discovers this privacy loophole that isn't supposed to be there anymore. It's like something that the company realized was there, that like two or three people in the company could go in this back door of the operating systems and look at all of the user information. And they were like, oh, this is bad. We shouldn't do this. We're going to get rid of this. Well, it turns out that they hadn't done it. It's still there. And not only is it still there, but Alice realizes someone is using it to dump large amounts of data. Like someone's going in and looking at user information. So this is terrible, right? Like, ah, everyone's information is there for someone to look at. And Alice is sure that she should tell someone, but then curiosity gets the better of her. And she realizes that she too can look at anyone's information on Tangerine. And she finds herself looking up specific people from a traumatic event in her past. These were people that were never properly punished for what they did. And suddenly, she can spy on them. She can read everything that they're writing. She can tell who's having affairs, who's doing, you know, what, who's not doing well at their job. 
And she all of a sudden she has all this power that she never had. And then on top of that, when Alice discovers who is responsible for sharing all this data, it takes her life to a whole new level of danger and accountability. I loved this book. I loved both Alice and Julia. I understood and sympathized with them and their actions and motivations. Julia has a family now. She has a child. She has an incredible job. And now she's being asked to risk it all, even though she knew that she would be someday. But so many years have passed that she kind of thought maybe that wouldn't happen. And she's worked really hard to get where she is. And now she's beginning to second guess the decision to spy. And Alice, who was once powerless, now has the tools at her fingertips to possibly get the revenge that she's always wanted. I also think that Wong does a great job spinning this espionage story in with, you know, current technology. Like, it seems like a very realistic thing. Although, again, I don't know if this whole thing about Russians living in the country as Americans is really true. But if it is, this seems completely plausible. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of racist remarks and actions violence, infidelity, chemical use and abuse, sexism and sexist language, and a mother threatens with the loss of her child. That is Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wong. For my next pick, I have Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend, Notes from the Other Side of the Fist Bump by Ben Phillip. This book actually came out at the end of April, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it, so I'm sharing it now. Content warnings for racism, child abuse, body image, and disordered eating. And also use of the N-word, though should there be content warnings for the N-word? I certainly don't get warned before I hear it. Anyway, after all those content warnings, would you believe me if I said this book is humor? Because it is. It's a dark humor in the same way that Samantha Irby and David Sedaris are humor. This is an incredibly funny memoir told in essays about being the one black friend or the only black person in primarily white spaces, whether that be in his elementary school classrooms growing up in Canada, as a student at Columbia University in New York, as a professor, as someone in a writing program in Texas, and the list goes on. I'm going to be blunt. As a person who was and still is so often the only black person in the room, or a meeting, or a friend group, etc., I found many of the essays and stories in this book wildly hilarious. That being said, if you're white, you may find some of them wildly uncomfortable, and that's good. Lean into it. Shift your perspective. The author was born in Haiti to Haitian parents, and they moved to Canada when he was around five. His father promised he and his mother many wonderful things that did not come to fruition. There are a lot of stories about growing up Black in Canada, and yes, sometimes they're just as absurd, funny, and heartbreaking as growing up in parts of the U.S. On top of anecdotes, the author also talks directly to us, the readers. He does not claim to have any expertise of any kind and offers other writers who do, though I really appreciate the section at the beginning of the book on things you should probably not say to your black friend, with the assumption that most white liberals have that one black friend. I got a lot of laughs and a lot of cringes out of this book, and I really enjoyed it. It's Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend, Notes from the Other Side of the Fist Bump by Ben Phillip. Okay. My next pick for today is another technological thriller, which I did not mean to pick two of, but here we are. I just love them both so much. 
This one is different, though, than imposter syndrome. It is Version Zero by David Yoon. So this has a, has a similar opening storyline like Alice's in imposter syndrome in that it's about a man named Max, who is a 20-something tech whiz working in Silicon Valley for this company called Ren, which is one of the world's largest social media companies. It's kind of like Facebook in this world. Uh, and one day, while Max is working on a huge project involving user data, he also discovers that the company he works for is collecting and sharing its users' private information in seriously shady ways. So like Alice, he discovers like this big corporation has this problem where someone can get access to their data. Although in this case, Ren is just using it to do bad things. And so Max is like, well, I need to tell somebody this. you know. And unlike Alice, he goes to his bosses because he thinks he's doing the right thing by telling them like, whoa, I found out this thing is happening and it needs to stop. And they are like, oh, Max, you're the best. You're absolutely. Thank you for pointing this out. Uh, this, this isn't supposed to be happening. You know, we're going to take care of this right away. And then, of course, turn right around and not only fire him from his job, but blacklist him from all the other tech companies who might have hired him. They basically just they just burn his reputation to the ground. And, and that's the end of Max's career in Silicon Valley. And so, of course, Max is mad. Ha, I didn't mean to say that. Mad Max. He's mad because he was doing the right thing. And these people stink. And nobody will even listen to him now because they have so much money and so much influence that people are like, oh, there's that guy that got fired and he's just angry and, you know, whatever. So Max has a best friend who is also his unrequited love, Akiko. And Akiko also works for Ren. And then... He has a, another best friend, Shane, who is also Akiko's boyfriend. So it's a little complicated there because Max pines for Akiko, but she's dating his other best friend. And he would never do anything to, to ruin that. Just, you know, but he still has a little thing for her. They get together and they talk about this and they decide to teach Ren a lesson. They're going to teach this company a lesson. But where do they start? You know, because like Akiko is still on the inside, so she can cause some damage and get some stuff. And Max is really smart, too. He knows what he's doing. So are they going to like do a little hacking? They gonna erase some data? Are they gonna shut down Ren? Like they gonna like somehow shut the site down? Well, they decide to do a little bit of everything, and soon their technological anarchy has grown much, much bigger. And this brings them into the orbit of a famous reclusive billionaire who also made his fortune with a social media site of his own. And now he's got them in his sites because he has a like a a bazillion dollars, he can find out who they are and tracks them down. Because they're like, nobody's going to find us. We're so smart. We've covered our tracks. No. If you have the money, you can do it. And he contacts them and he offers the trio the funds to take their campaign global. Like, let's think bigger. Let's see what else we can do. And it also makes them the targets of Ren's owners and their competitors who wish to find them and silence them before they do something really big. Like, oh my goodness, maybe change the world or make people think about what they're doing before they post on social media or, you know, something that would be bad for their business. I loved this book. It asks some very important questions like, what would the world look like if hateful people had not been given anonymous voices and platforms? Uh, who are the villains and who are the heroes in this story? What happens when only a handful of people have almost all the wealth in the world? Uh, and what would happen if the internet went away? It was really weird for me to realize that I had never thought about that question. It's like one day we had the internet and that was it. But like, what would happen if the internet shut down? Like, what would the world look like? I really liked all the questions that this book asked. Um, it's really smart and it's entertaining. It gets seriously dark in places. Uh, but I just absolutely loved it. 
I want to give content warnings for mentions of violence, serious bodily harm, bullying, suicide, infidelity, chemical use, racism, and sexism. That is Version Zero by David Yoon. In my mind, the reclusive billionaire you're talking about is just Tom from MySpace. It, like- it could be. Maybe that's who it's based on. <laughs> was Tom really a real person or was he just a photo? I don't know. He was my friend. He was everyone's friend. I know, but he looked a lot like this this barista that used to work in the coffee shop at my old job. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we are all Tom. Tom is everyone. <laughs> yeah, you'll find out like he was an amalgamation of like all these other people that work there or something. Maybe Tom is in hiding. Isn't MySpace like a thing still? Like Justin Timberlake is an owner. Uh, wait, what? I think so. I think just like, I don't like they, or maybe like they paid him a ton of money to like talk it up. Obviously not enough <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember anything about, I know I had a MySpace account at one point. I don't remember anything about using it, except that I was very excited to pick songs to put on my profile. That was it. I was constantly changing the songs as if like my six <laughs> friends were logging in often enough to know that I was changing them. Yeah. Anyway. We are going to hear from another sponsor now. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, what do you have for us next? I have You Are Your Best Thing vulnerability shame resilience and the black experience edited by tarana burke and brene brown this book also actually came out at the end of april and i didn't get to talk about it so i'm talking about it now full disclosure 
I have tried very hard to connect with Renee Brown's work. I've watched the TED Talk. I've read The Gifts of Imperfection. I've read Dare to Lead. I have tried. But as a queer Black woman, I do not have the luxury to show my vulnerability. I do not have the privilege of safe workplaces or a safe society that allows me to be anything less than perfect, anything less than strong and inspirational. Tarana Burke reached out to Brene Brown to collaborate on this to try to bridge that gap specifically, and I found this book to be so much more accessible to me. In the introduction, Tarana Burke talks about how she would have to try to contort herself and do some wild acrobatics to try to fit into the sphere of experience covered by Brene Brown's work. So this book is an anthology of deeply personal essays by Black people who stepped forward and laid bare their experiences with vulnerability and shame, something we are taught to never, ever do. There are some really phenomenal voices included in this anthology. Jason Reynolds, Austin Channing Brown, Mark Lamont Hill, Lovey Ajayi Jones, Sonia Renee Taylor, Laverne Cox, Imani Perry, and so many more. I don't even know where to begin with the content warnings. There are a lot of hard things talked about, from abuse and domestic violence, transphobia, drug use, houselessness, racism, and the list goes on. This is far from a light read. That being said, these are not stories of, oh, I was vulnerable and it was the end of the world, or my shame consumed me until I had nothing left. These are stories about how people, Black people, found strength in their shame and how they found their truth in their vulnerability. But to get to these places of hope, these stories of triumph, we first dive deep into how the trauma inflicted on Black people in this country is ongoing. We don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. The trauma is present and unending. The trauma is yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and it is passed down intergenerationally, and so is shame. This book was so, so good. I'm really grateful that it is now out in the world so that you can all read it. It's You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame Resilience, and the Black Experience, edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. If you could hear my husband cheering in the background while you were talking, I want you to go ahead and imagine that he was cheering you on as you discussed your book and not that the Bruins just scored a goal uh, while he watches the... <laughs> The NHL <laughs> first round. I didn't hear, but now I wish I had. Might be on the recording. It might not be. You know, as we talked about a little bit earlier before we started recording, I don't really understand how science works and how some sounds you know, get picked up and some don't. I've always been confused by like sound mics when you watch them film like movies and, and TV shows, how the guys in the back yelling directions don't get picked up by the mics in front of the actors. Like, I don't understand that. I don't understand science. I don't understand a lot, you know, but, you know, so you might hear it hearing, you might not. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, my last pick is a fun one, and I'm going to say a few words about it. It's a quick show today. I'm kind of lagging here, so not feeling my best. So we're going to wrap my picks up here with this really great book that I think will appeal to pretty much everyone who is listening it is Mental Floss, The Curious Reader, a literary miscellany of novels and novelists by Aaron McCarthy and the team at Mental Floss. If you love books, 
which you do because you're listening to this, or you love trivia, which is also fun, especially if it's about books, this is a great book for you. Great gift book, great book for yourself. It's a literary compendium from Mental Floss, the magazine that is no longer, but is still a website of like those really quirky articles about unusual things. I used to love getting the magazine too. Oh, did I love the magazine. And this book reveals fascinating facts about the world's most famous authors and their literary works. The Curious Reader contains the most loved book-related articles from the 20 years of Mental Floss, and it looks at very specific works by such authors as Jesmyn Ward, Kazuo Ishiguro, Jane Austen, and Stephen King, uh, and uh, like a ton more. There's like a hundred or something. Um, and it has really cool full-color graphics for each chapter about each author, and they also include little spoiler warnings. So, you know, if you haven't read Jane Austen and you're worried about that book being spoiled for you, you'll have a spoiler warning. You know, uh, different categories in the different chapters include such things as cat-loving writers, famous authors, unfinished manuscripts, literary characters based on real people, and books you didn't know were self-published. So, say for instance, you open it up. I'm going to open it up here. And I opened it up to Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And now there's all these little facts uh, and explanations. Uh, They say things like, this novel was adapted from Bradbury's short story, The Fireman. Bradbury did not write Fahrenheit 451 in nine days, like was originally reported. Uh, He wrote The Fireman on a rented typewriter in a library basement. This book is viewed as a criticism of McCarthyism. He considered Fahrenheit 451 his only work of science fiction. And it goes on to explain all, like, why all these things happened, why he thought all these things. It says here that uh, Fahrenheit 451 was the first to imagine earbuds, which is interesting. And it just... Like, if you love little trivia facts, it's so good. This is going to be an epic nerd purr for you. I see myself giving out many copies of this for gifts all through the year. Uh, or maybe just buying it for myself and, and just reading it over and over. Or maybe both those things. It's really, really fun. And if you've never checked out Mental Floss, like, they have fantastic articles. You learn tons of stuff. And it's a website now. It used to be a magazine. It's a website now. So this is Mental Floss, The Curious Reader, A Literary Miscellany of Novels and Novelists by Erin McCarthy and the team at Mental Floss. That sounds like so much fun. It is so much fun. I was really excited that I got an advanced copy of this because I really wanted to talk about it. No, I really wanted. Okay, I'm lying. First, I really wanted to read it. (laughs) (laughs) That was like my, my real hope, but also I wanted to talk about it. So yeah. We should have had you go last on that fun one because I've been reading a lot of hard books lately. Well, it's a hard world. (laughs) It it is. My last book is Let's Talk About Hard Things by Anna Sale. This book actually came out earlier this month. Anna Sale is the host of Death, Sex, and Money podcast, and this book is an extension of that show. She wants us to have those conversations that we are avoiding, sometimes even for years. As you can imagine, content warnings for a bunch of hard things, especially around death, including infant death. The author's argument is that we all go through many of these particular hard things, and by avoiding the conversations that could actually help us in our relationships, we end up isolating ourselves and maybe even making things harder to deal with than they already are. The book is divided into five big buckets of hard things by chapter. Death, sex, money, family, and identity. 
The bulk of the book is actually stories upon stories, not only about the author, but folks she has interviewed for the Death, Sex, and Money podcast about the hard conversations they've had in their lives or that they wish they had in their lives and how that experience of having or not having the conversations has affected them. In the introduction and at the end of each chapter, which again is full of stories, Sale offers up what she has learned about how to have such conversations. Acknowledging these conversations are hard, how they are hard, and then having them anyway. Full disclosure, I am an expert at avoiding conversations, especially around and with family, as well as conversations around death. One quote in this book was, family is where we tend to lose our maturity. And wow, that is really, really true for some of us. I can't say that after reading this book, I'm excited to have all these conversations, but I do feel like I have a bit more support and bravery around some of them. This was another really good and difficult read. It's Let's Talk About Hard Things by Anna Sale. Well, all right. That was quite a mix of books today, <laughs> like, we, really? like we try to do each week. Uh, so those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? I. I am honestly questioning my thought that my reading is my self-care because I am reading so many hard books. I am right now I am reading a book titled Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me, Depression in the First Person by Anna Mailer Pepperney. I know you were being serious, but I really wanted you to say something like Garfield comics after you said, I've been reading all this hard stuff, Garfield comics. Garfield without Garfield. You've yes, seen that, right? I do. I, yes, it's like the existential John Crisis comic. I, I love it. It's Because it's, it's genius. Like, absolute genius. There are just so many reasons why I love the internet. And I have to remember that sometimes when I get mad at the internet. But So you are reading Hello, I Want to Die, Please Fix Me. I am going to just super brag right now. Uh, I just got Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher, who wrote two Ooh. of my favorite scary books of the last couple of years, The Hollow Ones and The Twisted Ones. The Hollow Place and The Twisted Ones, I should say. Uh, and this is her new book, which is not coming out until, and I'm afraid to say it, I'm really sorry. It's not coming out until April 26th of next year. But I got my hands on a copy and I read the whole thing already. I, I like emailed with the publicist. I was like, I just got the book. And then later I was like, I love that. She was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, and I sat right down and read it. Um, it's, a, it's a fairy tale, but it's a really dark fairy tale about this princess who is determined to uh, avenge her sisters who were uh, mistreated horribly, just terrible things. They were married off to this prince, and he's basically like Joffrey kind of prince, like Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Uh, but he also has a spell of protection on him that can only be defeated by magic. So she goes to a dust witch and learns how she can defeat him. Uh, and it's really dark, but it's excellent. So excellent. And also, there is a dog made out of bones. So Bone Dog, who does all the dog things that you would expect, except just made of bones. So goes to give kisses, has no tongue. You know, goes to, to bark, has no voice. But like, it's so, it reminds me of Zero, except he can't make any noise. Um, Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, also, and this is really what sold me on it, why I really needed it right away. Uh, there is a chicken possessed by a demon 
that also accompanies her on this trip oh to God. get rid of this prince. It's awesome. So there's like lots of laughs and lots of like really dark stuff. And I just loved it. I've been talking about it probably longer than any of the books I talked about today. <laughs> but it's so good. It's called Nettle and Bone. And it comes out in April. And I'm really, really sorry that I'm bragging. But this is what I do. It sounds so good. So that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. I'll tell you some more about Nettle and Bone. Uh, you can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And like high fives and hugs, virtual hugs to all the amazing people that have gone and left reviews over the last few weeks and in general. Uh, but there has been a flurry, not a McFlurry, just a flurry. And it's been great. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.